Good morning and welcome to the Be Unconventional podcast. I'm your host, Rakita Harper, and I'm here to help you win this week. So let's dive right in. Good morning and welcome to episode seven of the Be Unconventional podcast. I am so excited to share this particular message with you because it is indeed a message of encouragement. And I believe that it's also going to give you some tools to continue to resist the enemy in your life. So I do pray that this week's message um, blesses you. And I pray that you apply the information to your life, not just this week, but for the rest of your life, because as you grow in the knowledge of God and in the grace of God, um, these things are going to keep popping up. What I'm talking about is going to be never ending. Um, So today's topic, if you noticed, it's titled Identity, Confession and Faith. So I have been a Christian going on 15 years. And the more I spend time in prayer, studying scripture and practicing walking in the spirit, the more revelation of God I receive. And the more I get to know God and his true nature, the more I get to know myself and who I am in him. But we have an adversary and his sole purpose is to turn people away from that truth. He has been working tirelessly since the beginning to prevent people from knowing God. Over the years, I've learned a lot about my adversary, mainly because the less I knew about God's love for me, the more I would give up and get beat up by Satan. And it's the revelation of God's love and grace that empowers me to resist. I want you to have that same confidence, confidence in his love for you and his grace towards you. Satan will always come to challenge three areas in your life, identity, confession and faith. Most of most of the time, Christians don't know their identity in Christ. When trials come, they lose their confession and their faith begins to waver. And for this reason, I want to talk to you about identity, confession, and faith, and how you can stand firm in confidence that you already have the victory. So let's talk about identity. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it reads, Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. And if you study your word, you realize that God did not say that they could not touch it. Um, So right there, she was a little confused in what God said. And so the serpent took that little bit of what she didn't know and he built on it. And he said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. But wait, 
In Genesis 1.26, the Bible says that mankind was made in God's image and likeness. So they were already like God. But what the devil did there, he wanted her to think that God was withholding something from her. He said, God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. And so it's not that God did not want them to know good and evil. It's that he wanted to be the one to teach them all things. So you guys, you have to realize that Satan is coming to attack your identity. That's why it's so important to study the word of God as it pertains to who you are in him. Right. Satan will also use other people to attack your identity as well. If you look at first Samuel chapter 17. Uh, verses 31 through 40. It reads. Oh, by the way, this is when David is um, David heard about. He, he came to the to the site where they were facing Goliath. Saul and his army and David came to bring his brother some lunch and he caught wind of what was going on. He noticed that everybody was afraid. They were scared and, you know, of this giant. Right. And David was like, who is this that y'all are so afraid of? And he was so sure of himself that he could defeat that giant. And so verse 31 says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they informed Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, may no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. For you are only a youth while he has been a warrior since his youth. Press pause. Look at how when David was displaying a level of confidence in who God had called him to be, the enemy used someone of authority, uh, someone who David was um, looking up to, like in a sense, um, to tell David who he wasn't, to tell David that he wasn't capable, right? To downplay um, who David believed that God called him to be. Verse 34 says, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a sheep from the flock. I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. So David responded with his track record, right? No, 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 no. See, I don't think you understand who I am. <laughs> Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, and I believe it's probably rather sarcastically, <laughs> go and may the Lord be with you. <laughs> Saul had already expressed that he didn't believe that David was capable of defeating this giant. So David goes on to tell Saul what he's capable of, who he is in God and how God will be able to deliver him. And so I believe, 
And maybe it's just me being petty in nature too. So, <laughs> but I believe that Saul was being sarcastic. Go, maybe the Lord be with you. Um, and so then 38 says, then Saul clothed David with his military attire and put a bronze helmet on his head and outfitted him with armor. And David strapped on his sword over his military attire and struggled at walking for he had not trained with this armor. So not only did the enemy use Saul to attack David's identity, um, but Saul tried to put what he was used to on David. Right. David was like, mm, I'm not trained with this armor. I'm not used to wearing this as a part of my identity. So he shook it off. He told Saul, I cannot go with these because I have not trained with them. And David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had. That is in his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So we all know how that story ended. David operating in his God identity, depending on the spirit of God to empower him, defeated Goliath. Let's take a look at how the enemy came for Jesus's identity. Matthew chapter four, verses one through eight. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So what did he do? Attack Jesus's identity. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The devil went on to uh, lead Jesus up to the top of this temple, like the pinnacle of the temple. And he attacked his identity again. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, this time, Satan got a little cunning and threw out a scripture himself. He said, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. And on their hands, they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse eight. And again, the devil took him along a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil left and behold, angels came and began to serve him. Now, I want to make a point. To say that Satan will always come to you when your flesh is weak. Okay. Jesus was fasting 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. And we all know when we get hungry, we typically don't think straight. We, we're not very rational. We get a little um, irritated and angry. And I just want to go on record to say, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan was like. If you're a son of God. Turn these stones into bread. <laughs> like I can't say that I would have mastered that. Um, so we thank God that Jesus did. 
But another thing I want to point out is that uh, the last part of it, when when Satan took him to that high mountain, he didn't just attack Jesus' identity, but he attacked his trust in God, his faith in God. And so we're going to get to the part where we talk about the enemy attacking your faith. But I just want you for your own study time when you read that. Go take a look at that again and see how the enemy started with his identity. And then at the very end, uh, he attacked his faith. Right. Uh, So let's talk about our confession now. Our confessions are another area that the enemy will always attack when he sees that we're going through tough times. So I think about John the Baptist, for instance. The Bible tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her cousin Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, were pregnant at the same time. And when the two mothers came near each other, John leaped in his mother's womb. How powerful is that? The very presence of Jesus before he was even born impacted another unborn child, unborn child to leap for joy inside of his mother. That's pretty awesome. Uh, And so when John started his ministry, he was confessing that Jesus was greater than he was and how Jesus was coming to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. John knew his assignment was to confess who Jesus was and prepare a people for his arrival. But then John's confession was tested. And now. Uh, We go to Matthew 11, verses 2 through 5. And it says, And now while in prison, John heard about the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or are we to look for someone else? Okay, bro, you just got finished telling everybody Everything Jesus was coming to do. (laughs) You baptized him and heard his father's confession over his life. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You leaped in your mama's belly at the very presence of your unborn cousin, Jesus. Now you're in jail about to get your head chopped off. And the Bible says he heard about the works of Christ and still sent one of his homeboys to check and see if it was true. Now, look, I'm not judging, judging uh, Brother John. I'm not doing that because I've been there, too. And I've publicly and openly declared things that I truly believed uh, God was going to do for me. And when it looked like it didn't happen or wasn't going to happen, I changed my confession. Or Maybe God didn't say that or maybe I missed it. And maybe I did miss it at times. But then there were times when I didn't miss it. I was just impatient. And I know we've all been there. Okay, so let's take a look at Jesus's response to that. Jesus responded to John's carnality and his flesh with evidence, right? He says in verse four, go report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind receive sight and those who are limp walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus responded with what John already knew. And sometimes we just need that reminder. Okay. 
uh, notice that Jesus did not respond to John's flesh and carnality. He responded to John's spirit. In his spirit, he already knew that this was the Messiah. Peter is another one whose confession was attacked by the enemy. The book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. It says, now when Jesus came into the region of uh, Caesarea, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So not long after that, Jesus was taken to be crucified. Jesus had already warned Peter that he would deny him. And Matthew 26 chapter 26 verses 69 through 75 tells us how Peter did that. Verse 75 says after he had denied three times and Peter remembered the statement that Jesus made before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When Satan attacks our confession and we yield to the temptation to change our confession, it causes much damage to our souls. Self-condemnation can creep in, guilt, shame, and even mental torment. And I believe that's what Peter was going through when he realized, oh my God, I just did exactly what Jesus warned me I would do. Right? But I want to encourage you to remember the statement that Jesus made to you. What, ha- what are some promises that Jesus made to you? Remember those. Uh, I'm convinced that the statement about Peter denying Jesus three times wasn't the only thing Peter remembered. I believe that after he did that, he probably started remembering the miracles, signs and wonders, all the good times and promises that Jesus had made. And look how Jesus restored Peter uh, later on after his resurrection. He asked him three times, do you love me? And I believe that he asked him that three times to give Peter a chance to change his previous confession. And that is grace, y'all. Now, let's take a look at faith, how Satan attacks your faith. Um, Did you know that your faith is more precious than gold? I know, right? First Peter chapter one, verse seven reads, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire. And uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. It says these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And there were several people in the Bible whose faith was the reason was the reason they were healed or that others were healed. Uh, Faith is the language of the kingdom of God. And without faith, 
Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible to please God. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. She was healed by her faith. The ten lepers, a blind beggar, all healed because they believed. The healing that these people received um, is the Greek word soso, which means to preserve, rescue, save from death or keep alive. Even uh, the prostitute who washed Jesus's feet with her tears. He said, your faith has saved you. So Sozo in that case was her spiritual salvation. Uh, when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus during a storm, the disciples faith was tested at that time. Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 40 tells us that the waves were breaking into the boat and filling it up with water. And Jesus was asleep. They woke him saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Let's pause right there. How many times have we gone through things in life and then questioned the father's love for us? We question his care for us. We start to question his provision. Tough times will attack your faith. Verses six, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter six, verses 26 through 34. Jesus tells us in this passage of scripture, the father's heart towards us. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27 says, and which of you by being anxious can add one hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Why will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And it goes on to say that our father in heaven knows we need these things, but that our focus should be on seeking his kingdom first, seeking to first take care of the things of God and he will add the things that we need to us. We've got to stand firm in our faith, no matter what comes, no matter who goes. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have to remember that he thinks good thoughts towards us and we should not throw our faith away. But what about when you just don't have the faith for something? Like, it's not that you don't believe in God. It's just that you uh, have faith for some things, but not others. I don't want you to be condemned. I don't want you to be ashamed because there's good news for that too. Now, remember how I said that our faith is more precious than gold. But what if I told you that God has faith? And if our faith is more precious than gold, then how much more is his worth? Let's take a look at Matthew 14, 14. It says he was moved with compassion for the multitude and healed them. Now, were they walking in faith? The Bible doesn't say, but it does say that he healed them. 
because he had compassion, not because they had faith. Faith is generating faith is not the only way that we can receive God's provision, uh, naming it, claiming it, declaring it. We need to do all that. But then there are times when you just don't have it. You just the enemy has attacked you to the point to where you may need someone else to stand in the gap for you. Um, I think about um, the centurion whose servant needed to be healed. Um, he had faith for his servant, Jairus, who needed his daughter to be raised from the dead. He wanted Jesus to speak a word um, so that she may live. And she couldn't have faith. She was dead. So it was the faith of somebody else who raised her. So there are times when we need someone to stand in the gap for us or we need someone to just lock their faith, their faith with, with ours or the lack thereof so that we can receive from the Lord. So, again, don't be condemned if you're struggling to believe God or trust God in a certain area. Um, let's look at the man at the pool of Bethesda, for instance. John chapter five, five, ah, getting ten times. John chapter five, verses five through nine. It says, now a man was there who had been ill for 38 years, 38. And Jesus, upon seeing the man lying there and knowing that he had already been in that condition for a long time, said to him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one, no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. There's really no evidence that he had faith at all. Just excuses. Right. But Jesus instigated this healing. By asking him if he wanted to be made whole. Jesus looked at him and believed that he could walk. Jesus spoke that by faith. So I heard uh, one of our instructors, Barry Bennett, say this. And I, I tried to kind of type this out as he was saying it. So I may miss a few words, but this is what he said. There are several examples in the Bible where it's God instigating the healing through Jesus himself or through one of his vessels who have been moved with the love of God. They see a situation and the faith of God heals someone who wasn't actively participating in their healing. That's so powerful to think about. Um, there are unbelievers who can receive healing because of the faith of the person administering the healing. Right? So even those of us who are Christians, we struggle with faith. We shouldn't make a habit of doing that, but there are times when you will, and you need to know that um, God's faith can go to work for you. Romans 3, 3 says, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Right. So then I'll uh, we'll also look at Hebrews uh, chapter seven, verse twenty five. 
I'm going to read this one from the Passion Translation. It says, so he is able to say fully from now throughout eternity, everyone who comes to God through him because he lives to pray continually for them. So wait, Jesus is praying for us continually. So you mean to tell me when I don't have the faith for something, I can rest in his faith. Man, I hope that you guys are really taking um, this teaching today and getting something from it. You may have to listen to it more than one time, uh, but but think about how God has given you his faith and you can rest in that. Jesus is praying for you and you don't know what to pray for yourself Yes, the enemy comes to attack your identity, your confession, and your faith. Um, You will be attacked in these areas. But I want you to see how the enemy works. Yes. But most importantly, I want you to see how God has already established a way for you to rest and be of good cheer. Don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. John 14 1 so let me pray for you and uh, I hope like I said that you can go throughout this week and just rest in the fact that you have an intercessor in Jesus who is praying on your behalf Um, you also have promises from God that you can stand on that you're more valuable than the lilies in the field And the birds in the air. That he's going to provide for you. He's going to show up for you. And you can rest in that. So let's pray. Lord. Thank you for loving us enough. To pray for us at times. When we have no faith to pray. Thank you for reminding us. Of your faithfulness towards us. Your love for us. And your willingness to calm storms. Heal our bodies and our minds and provide for us. Thank you for relieving us from the stress that society and its many demands have placed on us, attacking our identities, our confessions, and our faith. Thank you for reminding us who we are in you and giving us the boldness to confess your goodness and faith to believe in your word and promises. This week, Lord, We will lay hold to what you say about us and judge you faithful to do what you said you will do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. The Bible said in the book of John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, And what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. Repeat after me and take this next step towards true freedom that is only found in Christ. Jesus, 
I recognize my need for a savior. Because you so willingly gave your life for me. I willingly give my life to you. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive my salvation now. I receive my physical, emotional, and mental healing that comes with my new life. Thank you for freeing me of my guilt and shame. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. And just like that, welcome to the kingdom of God. Angels are rejoicing now because of your decision. This, my friend, is the first day of the best days of your life. If today's episode was a blessing to you, or if you received Jesus into your heart, there are a few ways you can let me know so I and other listeners can celebrate with you. Number one, subscribe and leave a review. Number two, send me a private message on the Be Unconventional Instagram and Facebook socials. Or you can email me at rakitaharper at gmail.com. Number three, leave what I would like to call a victory voicemail by simply using the link in the bio of the Be Unconventional socials on Instagram and Facebook. Your voicemail may end up on an episode. And lastly, share with others. I'm your host, Rakita Harper, reminding you to be encouraged, be empowered, be inspired, but most importantly, be unconventional.